0: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks. I'm so thrilled you can join us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation. We're going to be talking with a group of -of end-of-life doulas. that do training and support for people dealing with dementia as well. So I know this is going to be a fascinating conversation I do want to remind people to go ahead and check out alzheimerspeaks.com. There you'll find a ton of free educational resources. Download, listen, watch, pass them on. That's what they're there for. You can also access our book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care, which is a great children's book. But really, uh, it's, it's a wonderful book for all ages and stages of life. You can also access on our free educational resource page, a dementia map, which is our global resource directory, or you can just go directly to dementia map.com. I also want to invite you to a couple of events that I'm doing. One is on October 10th at Artist Senior Living in Woodbury, Minnesota. I'm going to be doing actually a program called Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care. It's a free event sponsored by Artist Senior Living, and you can RSVP at 651 439. 2840. And then on September 28th and 29th, I will be uh, participating in the Geriatric Care Summit for 2023. And you can just Google Geriatric Care Summit 2023 and you'll find information. I will actually be doing the keynote, which is called Recalibrating Care to Retain and Secure Staff and Families. So I hope you can uh, join us on that. So let's go ahead and introduce you to our panel. Well, ladies, I am so excited to have you with us. Um, I I just think what you do, uh, the importance of doulas um, in the world is so exceptionally important. And so many people don't know what a doula is. Um, And so I'm I'm thrilled that we're going to be talking about this and letting people know that the support that is out there. Um, But before we get into a line of questioning, I'm just going to have everybody introduce themselves. And so, Kathy, I'm going to let you go first.
2: Thank you, Lori. I'm Kathy Bates. I am a social worker, a geriatric mental health specialist, and an end-of-life doula and educator. I've been in the healthcare field for over 40 years in quite a variety of settings, including uh, skilled nursing and a private counseling and long-term psych.
0: Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Colleen, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself?
3: Oh, thanks, Lori. Uh, my name is Colleen Hughes, and I am uh, have been a registered nurse for over 40 years with specialties in geriatrics and psychiatric mental health. I've worked on a hospice team and uh, an ICU, geriatrics ICU, and I'm certified as an end-of-life doula and a conscious dying educator.
0: All right. Thank you. And Kathleen?
1: Thank you. I'm Kathleen Putnam. I am a grief coach, end-of-life doula, registered dietitian that specializes in trauma and nutrition and self-care, and um, am thrilled that I'm also a trainer with the Gentle Passage Doula Collective.
0: Great. Thank you. And Bonnie?
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Bonnie Blatchley, and I am also a a registered nurse, and I've worked most of my career in long term care. Uh, I spent the last uh, 10 or 12 years teaching at the University of Washington School of Nursing. Uh, I'm a certified end of life doula as well, and one of the founding members of Gentle Passage Doula Collective.
0: And Bonnie, do you want to give a plug for Maureen who wasn't able to make it due to just medical procedure? Oh, sure.
4: Maureen uh, Curis is one of our other nurses who uh, is a founding member as well. She uh, has a wonderful experience working uh, as a hospice nurse in the past. She worked in oncology um, and she focuses her work right now. She has her own company called uh, Radiant Morning and she focuses on um, advanced care planning And uh, she's a wonderful connector out in the community.
0: Fantastic. I I wanted to make sure that we covered her as well, because she's been so helpful at pulling us all together, along with, I'll give a plug for Pat Sylvia, too, who is just a, a dear friend to all of us. So. Uh, connections are so important. And it's amazing who you get mm-hmm. to meet through those through those conversations. So I always start my show asking every one of my guests if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. And and Kathy, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind.
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, I was uh, a young uh, mother when my grandmother w- had a very psychotic uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. And in fact, she was living in uh, San Francisco. And um, some of the things that the family had to deal with is, can you imagine uh, in San Francisco, running down a set of stairs and being naked? So the family really had to deal with a lot of challenges in that. And then she ended up uh, living in a skilled nursing facility at the end of her life. What was really uh, rare about what my mother and grandmother experienced is my grandmother was not very demonstrative and really never said, I love you to my mother. And in her last day of her life with full-blown dementia, she was able to turn and tell my mother, I love you, Gloria. It was pretty impactful.
0: Wow. It is amazing. I've I've had stories like that from people too, where it's just The tide's turning and they're going to make a last change and kind of get out of the box that they grew up in. And um, it's those are such beautiful, beautiful moments. So thank you for sharing that. Colleen, how about you? Have you been personally touched by dementia?
3: Recently, actually, uh, with a friend who has been diagnosed with uh, uh, early on stage Dementia. She started having difficulties remembering uh, her appointments and being organized. She's having some trouble with organization. And I've known her for years and her partner. And um, it, you know, you look back on the times. This is a very, very active com- community person who has uh, helped so many other organizations. And and this is a big thing with her being organized. And so now she's going through that uh, fear of what it's going to be like down the road.
0: Yeah, that fear and loss of who you've always been, and, and how people like you said, how people perceive you what they expect out of you. And I think we're our own worst critics when it comes to that. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, so often people are much more compassionate than we than we give them credit for because we have that inner credit uh, going on in our own head beating ourselves up. So thanks for sharing. Uh, Kathleen, how about you?
1: Yeah, I had a grandmother who uh, suffered from dementia, but I was quite young. But, you know, it was impressed. It impressed upon me. Right. Because I remember things that were said and uh how she was treated and then the stories that followed uh and especially a lot of fear of safety with the kids around and so that that was probably the closest uh that I've come but then professionally Uh, my first, you know, job as a dietitian was in long-term care. My office was on the floor that, um, was memory care. And I remember having to ask for support and being really worried about different behaviors and, uh, got a really quick education actually from yours truly Bonnie here, (laughs) uh, we worked together there and then we just watching, I was in my early twenties. I was a very green at everything. Right. And I remember it became my favorite place to go. And so it was like, you know, my resistance and fear, and then just learning more and more about it. And then now more recently, is it in my nutrition practice and in grief, it is, it's encompassed a lot of my work with people, whether it be the fear of, um, developing some form of dementia because of lineage or, um, what, what their parents are going through or their siblings are going through and what can they do now? And then also, um, helping people who have early stage, how can I manage with my self-care and organizational skills?
0: Wonderful. And I think one of the the best things people can do is stay connected socially when it comes to this. And there's some great groups like Dementia Action Alliance, where, that group is, you know, and and same with dementia minds, they're primarily run by people with dementia, they do a lot of speaking and training, they facilitate groups, they make friends all around the world. And what's so interesting is most of them, when I talk with them, say, I've never felt this purposeful in my whole life. You know, now that I have dementia, it's like, I, I, it's, they say it feels kind of backwards because it's not what you would expect, but once they get through that kind of grief process, they really feel at home and like they're making a difference. And I think that's so important for all of us. So thank you for sharing that. Bonnie, how about you? Have you been touched by dementia in your family or circle of friends?
4: Yes, I have. My, uh, actually with my father who, Uh, was 93 when he died but uh and he was perfectly alert oriented and doing everything normally until he had a stroke and he uh suddenly one day he was clear and the next day he was totally confused and he had stroke related dementia and um and that I think was really difficult because it's like you have to change your whole mindset and thinking so quickly and so fast. But I think not only with my father, but I think going back to my career and when I first started to work on a what we called a cognitively impaired unit um that's when I really got exposed to all different kinds of dementia, and I could see how it affected families, children, grandchildren, and, and how it progressed with our clients, and everybody was so different. And so I, um, when, I, when I started that unit, uh, working on that unit, when it was a hard hat area, and we didn't have any patients yet, and um, what was really interesting is that we had this idea of, of what we were, how we were going to program the unit, but nobody could really articulate what that programming was. And so um, we had the great fortune, I think, of really identifying and creating a program that would support and sustain not only the residents who lived with us, but also with their Families and friends, so that was very exciting to me and it's one of the reasons why I still am really interested in working with families and uh, their loved ones uh, through through end of life doula work as well.
0: Well, I love that you mentioned with your programming in terms of supporting the person diagnosed as well as their families I'm doing a um, a program for a a geriatric conference. And what I'm talking about is recalibrating kind of senior care. And part of it is getting back to the basics of actually caring for people and not just being so budget and bottom line oriented and, you know, so heavily task um, managed. And, you know, we've kind of blown past those relationships, but that's one of the beauties, I think, in, in the work that all of you do. But I think, I think the public is really starting to demand, you know, Hey, you're taking care of my loved one, but we need help too. As a family, we want to be part of this team, not just come to a quarterly meeting, but we want to be active and know how we can do better and how we can process things. So, um, thank you for sharing. I'm going to ask, um, each of you, um, different questions but if initially because when when you introduced yourselves you all have different titles and certifications and you know my audience probably doesn't have a clue and I don't have a clue on some of them either (laughs) of what they actually mean so I'm gonna first and I'm gonna start with you Bonnie if you can again say your titles and then explain kind of what those are OK, um,
4: sure. Uh, let's see. I think the initials after my name. Sorry, I have a master's in nursing. Um, I am a, I, I started out as a registered nurse. I got a bachelor's in nursing, then a master's. I got certified as an end of life doula. So you'll see C-E-O-L-D. That means certified end of life doula. Um, I don't know that there was anything else. Was there anything else in there that you saw that you wanted me to explain?
0: No, I think I think that's it for you. So that's good. Okay. Um, why don't we talk about, you know, end of life doula training and support and and how can that really help somebody diagnosed in their family members, Bonnie?
4: Great that yeah, it's a great question. Um some of our students specifically want to work with clients that have a diagnosis of dementia. Um but in reality, we know that many people when especially older people when they're coming to the end of their life, may have some sort of uh, or some level of dementia as part of their uh, MO, so to speak. And so our training provides the basics needed to develop a successful working relationship, including resources and tools they can use when they're working with a client and their family. And then for our students, we provide ongoing education through monthly webinars and coaching sessions, and this training helps our students be less fearful, gain confidence, and practice techniques that will help them work with dementia. So training topics that we uh, cover are based on what our students tell us they need when they are uh, working or anticipating working with a client. And so um, many challenges can arise on that journey towards end of life under the best of circumstances. So being able to take advantage of ongoing mentoring goes a long way to support the doula, the client, and the family, as they are the ones who are present and witness the ongoing changes associated with the disease. So we focus on things like listening skills, ways to communicate when words don't matter anymore, and how to listen and be respectful. Uh, so many times I see uh, people thinking that just because someone has dementia, that they treat them like a child. And these are not children. These are adults. Um, with an issue and we have to treat them that way. So we want them to be able to identify where their clients are in their dementia and then be able to tailor a program that will sustain them at their current level of function physically, emotionally, and spiritually as long as possible. So I think it's important to find out what people liked, what they disliked when they did not have dementia Because then we can take those things that were important to them and we can modify them based on where they are in their dementia when we get involved. So we provide a lot of training based on the needs of our doula community and the clients they serve that have dementia.
0: So you had mentioned that um, with your training, you kind of go where the students request. Are there some like hot topic, you know, buttons that, you know, they all come in and go, I don't know what to do here or here or here. Yeah, yeah,
4: I I think that's true. And again, um, you know, I do a bunch of uh, training out in the community, too. And uh, I think one of the biggest one for me is how to how to enter the reality of the person with dementia, you know? And so, and I, I've always used that term that we have to enter their reality um, because, uh, you know, in the past, when I first started in my career, we were doing reality orientation. Well, that does not work. And we know it doesn't work. So getting into validation and how do we validate how where people are and how they feel is really important. And so... Um, I think uh, that's a big one. I'm getting ready to do one on marriage and intimacy, um, and and how how that can be affected by someone with dementia. And just because a person has dementia doesn't mean that they still don't enjoy intimacy. So we're going to have a talk about that. And there, and the other one is to, uh, to that. Um, I I get a lot of questions on is how do you take away the car keys when they shouldn't be driving anymore? So um, again, we, uh, we get these common themes and these are things then that will create training around. And there's a, there's tons of them out there.
0: Yeah. So one of the the preconceptions might be from some of our audience listeners is Oh, end of life. I, I didn't think they'd be dealing with car keys at all anymore, you know? So like when when does a doula get involved? At what stage is there a right or wrong? You
4: know, I don't think there's a right or wrong stage. And I th- you know, I think really one of the challenges with taking away the car keys is going to be t- different over time because uh, cars don't start with car keys anymore. So uh, so I think we're going to be looking at a different a different topic, but it's you know it's really uh, about safety. And how do we create this safe environment uh, for our, our dementia residents to live in? Because I think more and more we're going to see dementia residents being um, taken care of at home, not out in facilities. I mean, I think the memory care facilities are always going to be a need for them. But when people are in the beginning stages, they're managed at home. And this is where those kinds of topics come up.
0: Interesting. Well, and even with the car keys too, you know, you can take them away, but that doesn't mean later on down in the disease, they won't go looking for them, even though they've accepted, they're not trying anymore. (laughs) You know, this is a disease where there are no rules, and uh, lots of curvy lines out there. So Mm -hmm. um, wonderful to know. So somebody could actually call you upon diagnosis and just say, is this appropriate for us to to be meeting? Tell tell me more about what how you can serve our family in this process.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I just had one more thing to that, because it is really important. This is a disease that lasts for a long time. And even though somebody might not be terminal at the moment, I do get involved with people with dementia early on, um, just to help them through the 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 little crises that help along the way to help them anticipate them versus having to be reactive. Uh, So, you know, it's hard to function in a reactive mode all the time. So if we can uh, help people look down the road at what some likely scenarios are, and I'm finding that um, consumers of our, of of my service, particularly, and I think all of us are finding that um, consumers are more educated in what they're looking for. And so we want to be able to meet those needs and help them look at the what ifs.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think too, if you, if you hook up early on, it makes the end of life, Mm -hmm. the very end much easier because you, you have this relationship built and people know one another. Um, Kathleen, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to have you go ahead and first kind of talk about your certifications and, and things that, that you have.
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, So I have a master's in nutrition science and I have, I'm also adjunct faculty in higher education, uh, teaching nutrition science and human development and also supervising and mentoring grad students uh, intermittently there. And then there is the certification as a grief coach and end of life, which Um, really is like a life coach training, 148 hours of certification that really is focused on end of life and grief. Um, And then I too have this certification as an end of life doula.
0: Okay, great. Well, for you, I'm wondering, what's the difference between other support groups and working with doula trainers? Um, you know, there's, there's so many options out there and yet most of us don't even know the options exist because you don't know what you don't know. But then as you start, you know, digging out there, um, it gets confusing.
1: It does get confusing. And what I want to say about that is that, um, in my heart and really our intention with our training is to really fill in the gaps that we have seen personally and professionally not being met because of so many circumstances, the overwhelm in the healthcare system, the um, limited access to resources, et cetera. So it's really been a calling um, around that. So the end of life training really creates a platform to learn and grow and connect and feel empowered as well as supported. And really the basis is having a place to come that and learn how to be self-compassionate. You talked about that inner critic and, um, the foundations in self-compassion, um, evidence-based theory is really that we're in a human body, which is imperfect. And so is everybody else. So you're not alone and to really start to learn and cultivate uh, a way of approaching that with kindness and not that inner critic, because that just adds to suffering. And so you're going to be amongst a community that has that intention. That's very um, intentional and mindful And that we also in our training, and it is training, which means the only way that we learn is that we repeat these skills and we integrate them. And we take for us first what works for us so that we can be not in that reactive mode, but really allow ourselves to practice that integration so that we can make space for whatever is coming up for me to be sitting alongside Um, whether it be my loved one as a caregiver, or maybe it's me and my fear of death and dying, or maybe it's me really cultivating um, more and more skills to be able to bring this to what I'm already doing. And so making sure that we also have a place where there's not just one of us that's carrying this as a trainer and training, but that we have a variety of experience and backgrounds as you're going to hear. And so that um, when learning, we want to find that safe person that we can relate to, that person that we can draw resources from. And really, uh, I, I'm most passionate about the skills around coaching. It feels the most natural to me to be able to be in a place where we um, can make a space for the truth to come to the surface. Because one of the things around um, the difficulty of moving through grief and accessing support and making that phone call is really moving through what it's going to take to accept that this is my reality. And so with coaching, it's moving into this place of curiosity instead of judgment. It is... um, really helping do one thing at a time and deal with the overwhelm just to take one new step um, so that we can cultivate a way of being with one another that fosters openness and allowing, you know, when we shut down, when we're resistant, but not making emotions good or bad, um, but really finding a way through, whether it be in rituals or in regular community connection or through ongoing meetings of education or really listening to the experience of someone else so that we can really collaborate and empower one another and tap into our inner resources and also be able to share resources for one another so that we really then start moving this uh, paradigm that we're experiencing where we're independent and we're alone and that the, re- that the answer is always medical um, and that um, can really potentially for a lot of people um, really feel isolating and also stigmatizing and reinforce if I don't have self-compassion, a lot of inner critic that this is my fault somehow. Um, And so the training really that we offer is a basic foundational training to get started about normalizing end of life conversations and really bringing that discussion as early as possible and have that courage to talk about the things that feel scary and sad and, um, and to really also work through whatever comes up through these practices of that unfinished business so that I can better relate and offer presence as a caregiver or be there for myself so that we really help work through um, that grief and provide uh, safety for everybody that we're working with. So it's, it's it, what's um, foundational is it's educational. And some of us really are comfortable in education, right? Um, if we have a skill and we educate and this cognitive, you know, that's how we make money in this country. And that's how we've valued uh, uh, one another in a lot of ways. And so we're leaning into that space of um, those conversations about what does it feel like to be human and what does it feel like to have these conversations? Cause we don't have a lot of great role models for this and to also be able to address those things that people don't talk about that, is that disenfranchised grief, the things that people don't see, which does happen with um, early onset dementia and a lot of illnesses where people, you can't, you don't know what's going on with someone, but we have to create that space so that um, it can come up. So that's really what we're wanting um, with the training and how it's different. So support groups really look different. And I think uh, for me, what creates a lot of safety is to make sure that the environment doesn't feel competitive, but it feels collaborative because we just automatically do comparisons that, ooh, their situation's much worse, you know, than mine. So really, I can't speak up, you know. And one of the biggest heartbreaks for me is people not accessing care and support because they feel like the problem's not big enough,
0: very true. you said so many different things um I love the the curiosity versus the judgment. I love the the truth and the authenticity, you know creating that safe space to have real conversations to allow people to feel because we don't feel like we can show those things and and one of the things I'm sure you guys run across a lot is. Not every family gets along and is loving, and yet you are they're still there. And so and the family dynamics are all different. And and those things have to be dealt with differently. And they have to be, you know, like Bonnie said, even with the person with dementia, they still have to be validated no matter who the person is, because that's their reality. And how do you how do you move through those things? Um, The other thing that, you know, to me, one of the differences that I see is that it's not an eight week course. That's one of the things that I hear so often from people is I don't want an eight week grief course. I go to it. I feel better. It's over. And I go right back to where I was and I got to start all over again. And what I've always heard with doulas is is it, it can really be customized to what the needs are. Um, also in terms of being able to be multifaceted in terms of taking that Western medicine and Eastern medicine and legacy piece and educational piece and pulling it all together instead of going, okay, now I, I made you an appointment for over here. And then don't forget Thursday, you got to go here. And then they're, they get stressed out, but to know there's one person, and I'm sure you all do it a little bit different and not that you don't collaborate with others. But I think you take a lot of that heavy weight off in terms of knowing there's one, one person I can really rely on and trust that knows everything. And is that, am I um, misspeaking on that, uh, Kathleen?
1: No, not at all. I was going to add, I think the empowerment part comes from learning skills, So that when you're in that situation, that feels really stressful when you're trying to talk to a medical team where there feels like there's this power differential, or there's something else going on, is that you're really learning skills so you can self-regulate, so you can stay attuned to the person that's in need uh, and be able to provide care right then and there. And that when it doesn't work, that there might be another approach so you can come back to our to our coaching. You can ask for more training. You can ask for more resources. You know, there's lots of other people out there doing incredible work that we draw our education from. So just really being resourceful uh, so that you don't feel scared or that you've got it wrong. And I think that's the only thing I would add to is that it's skill development too. Okay.
0: Great. Um, Colleen, I'm going to go to you. And if you don't mind kind of explaining your certifications and and things, and then we'll get into your questions as well.
3: Sure. Um, So as I said before, I'm a registered nurse. I have an MSN, which is a Master's of Science in Nursing. And um, I also took 10 years out of nursing, decided, and it was because I was working at a a geriatric uh, psychiatric unit, it was really psychiatric medical unit and research Alzheimer's unit at UCLA that I decided I wanted to take 10 years out and do something a little different in an approach. And so I got a, a clinical doctorate in chiropractic and was more interested in mobility and wellness part of that of that uh, career. And so I got that. And then of course, as time went on, I got my uh, end of life uh, doula cert- certification from the uh, Conscious Dying Institute out of Boulder. And a conscious, and I also got a certification in conscious dying education, which people don't always understand. And what that really is, is helping that individual decide what priorities they have and how they want to die. And it may mean they would like the whole family there. It may mean they want a party. It may mean they want to um, have a living funeral before they die have people you know present while they're still living you know it could and it could mean they don't want a lot of people there they only want a significant other there i mean it it's all about how you want to die now we all know things change but if a person has plans and they have alternatives, they feel more empowered and so what that that's basically what that's about
0: wonderful and I, I'm glad you mentioned that living celebration because that's something fairly new, and not everyone's been invited to one of those, but they're really quite beautiful to be part of and to also understand that privacy piece that not everybody wants what you want or what you think everyone's supposed to want, you know, and um, being able to allow that space for that. I wanted to ask you about life reviews and reminiscing. We're just hearing so much more about both of those things, especially when it comes to um, Alzheimer's disease and different types of dementia. But, But in general, for our senior population, and I'm seeing it even starting at earlier stages, people starting to record their stories, with the technology and things that uh, that we have access to. So can you can you talk about life review and reminiscing and how how you utilize that?
3: Yeah, it it is my passion Uh, in my business. I actually have a section for life review and legacy projects. Um, Life review and reminiscing are both considered psychosocial interventions, and a lot of times they're used uh, synonymously. Uh, together, and that's just fine and i 'll just give you the separate definitions of them, but they 're used both, and i 've used both uh Reminiscing is a recall of an individual's memories uh from various periods in their life, and it's something that it's both of them are very organic in nature I mean if you try to do it in a in a logical sequence it's really not always the way things go, but life review covers a wider range of memories and how they fit into the person's total life. And so um, the thing with both of them and research will support this. It it improves people's mental well-being. It decreases depression. It decreases anxiety and increases self-esteem and self-worth. And it promotes social interaction, which is beautiful in, in, especially with groups of of people who have dementia of, of the Alzheimer's type um, I used to run, back in the 80s, reminiscing groups, um, and what I found, I had about maybe an average between seven to 12 people in a group, and they usually ran for 45 minutes weekly, and what I found was, and there were men and women, and some had a dementias and some didn't, they were, you know, it was in assisted living or long-term care uh, or um, communities, and sometimes the men would talk about the war, but they wouldn't talk about specific experiences. They would talk about their experiences of location, like they were in Italy or they were in France. And what did that mean? And then food would always come up. The topic of food, baking, you know, and the men would talk about the things they loved. And then they get into their families. The women would say, I cooked for this many, and it depends on their culture they were, you know, part of. And so it was always exciting, but... um Poetry was big. I had a gentleman bring in a book on from the eighteen hundred. He had poetry from the 1800s. And of course, we talked about 19th century poetry of, of William uh, Walt Whitman and Edgar Allan Poe and Thoreau and all of those. They would read poetry and reminisce over that. So research has shown that it's highly effective with Alzheimer's disease and improving quality of life. So doulas do play. We have have this in our program. We have Legacy and Life Review, and September 19th, I'll be doing a webinar uh, on uh, Legacy and Life Review. So we really stress this, and doulas play a role because it can either be one-to-one, and you can bring in the family with this because the family can also support the memory of the individual and get them involved with this. So it's, uh, we. I teach a, at Cancer Lifeline, I teach a class um, and, and uh, life review is part of that class. And what, the, what that helps people with is people who are facing terminal illness or serious illness can get, integrate the positive and the negatives in their life and come, come some, and with this group, particularly these groups, it's unresolved conflicts or regrets, and they can get into that. And by the way, early stage dementia, you can work with these things with people before they advance further. So dementias, um, we know, disrupt the short-term memory process. And the nice thing about life review and and um, reminiscing is it goes around that short-term storage and you can access the remote. And what I have seen is is the people don't have as much, um, what do I want to say, uh They don't have the same feelings of loss and frustration because they can access the remote and feel like they're part of life still. And that's where the positive self-image comes in and the socialization. You feel like you're still part of something. So uh, we do one other thing with when you're doing either one to one with Life Review or reminiscing, you're using active listening. And in our program, we call that holding space. And that is the compassion. You you you're totally present for that individual and you're not fixing things for them and you're not making judgments because we have non-judgment as part of being doulas. And uh because you can do that, you can kind of re-energize your clients who we call them clients because they they feel like you really are there and you're you're there for them. So really it's all about remembering. Uh, sharing and reflecting. That's what I think these tools are used for. And there's so many in life review, we even have reflection questions or a set of questions, and you can go through those. But like I say, it's very organic. You may not, the person may say they're not interested in doing life review, and before you know it, they're in it because they remember something that they want to talk about. So there's the... So there's all kinds of things you can use. And I and I love the, the things that the Alzheimer's Association has or other associations with the baking cupboard, the magnetic picture boards that can help with people with Alzheimer's disease. And they can learn. They see the tools that are used in baking and it promotes their memories of what when they used to bake. And the same thing with being a handyman, they have a magnetic board for that in building and things like that. So there's a lot of things and tools you can actually share with families to help their loved one. And um, the benefits just keep going on and on. And I think that's the most important thing about life review and reminiscing.
0: Wonderful. I'm
3: just gonna mention a
0: couple other um, tools. I don't know if you're familiar with Nana's books but they're like eight and a half by 11, big print. One side has just a picture and then the other has few words. And what's nice is if someone is still able to read it short, they won't get lost in it. Um, Or you can read it to them or you can just focus and reminisce with the picture. So, I mean, you can use it a lot of different ways and all ages can participate. And that's one of the things I like about Life Review and reminiscing is it's educational for everybody. Um, to be able to learn things and and capture things. Um, The other is just a tool that I created called Your Memory Chip Journal. And it's a companion tool to Your Memory Chip. But the journal you can download on my site um, if you go to the free resources area. And it's just for family or friends to bring a picture and then write, it can be a few words, it can be a story, it can just say who's in the picture or what it was about. But to be able to leave it, for others to continue to reminisce because I learned through my own experience, you know, my mom had dementia for 30 years. My dad had brain cancer and, you know, going through both of their journeys. I, I learned stories I never heard of before that were, some of them were just downright hilarious and they weren't going to tell us kids because, you know, that's not how a parent's supposed to act, but that's how my parents acted, you know, cause they were, they were young at one time too, and they were just really neat pieces to be able to see and hold and and feel um, that you didn't know before you know just it just that whole reminiscing and life review just broadens your picture of who that person was and is um, in your life and I think that that's really important so thank you for sharing that Colleen Um, Kathy, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to have you again, first start out with your, your titles and certifications and just explain those to people. And then I will get to your question as well. Certainly.
2: I am a social worker, but not an MSW. I've been in healthcare for a very long time, actually since 1975, when I started working with emotionally disturbed adolescents in a psychiatric setting and then chemical dependency. And I have a bachelor's degree in criminology corrections. Um, but my experience as a social worker started in 1994 in long-term uh, skill nursing settings. And I, too, worked with Bonnie. In fact, one of the most interesting um, folks that we had, we called them residents in that environment of the skill nursing, was the gentleman who actually did the entire chapter of dementia was actually a resident of mine there at that setting a long time ago. I also have certification uh, in gerontology from um, University of Southern California, and I'm a mental, um, geriatric mental health specialist with certification out of the University of Washington. I'm a hands-on person. So I've been in private practice for over four years, and currently I am uh, working as a social worker In an adult day program, and many of the things and situations people have been mentioning, I'm helping folks cope with and providing uh, what we call deep listing, holding space, and um, also providing a caregiver support group. And that caregiver support group is for uh, loved ones who have dementia, who are attending the adult day program or from the community uh, of which they live in.
0: Wonderful. Well, Kathy, I want to ask you—you know—in terms of your impact with people living with dementia, um, can you share some examples of how you've how you've worked with them? Certainly.
2: Uh, there is one particular. Well, there's many stories. I have lots of of different ones, but this uh, particular story I felt was uh, quite remarkable uh, because uh, she was a 69 year old nurse. Um, she and her family engaged with me in the very midst of COVID in July of 2020. And um, this gal had had Parkinson's for over 15 years. And um, she also had uh, dementia, Alzheimer's type. And she was very clear of how she wanted her end of life journey to be and how she, what she chose, even though some members of her family weren't keen on it was to do VSED, and VSED is Voluntary Stop Eating and Drinking. Um, this, uh, this client of mine was actually an um, oncology neurology nurse. So intimately, she truly understood the uh, dynamics and the projection and journey of uh, progressive Parkinson's and dementia. When we started working, I started working with her and her family, Initially, it was with her. I would say she had um, probably mild to moderate stage because she was living in an adult family home, which is unique in itself that she wanted to begin this journey. But we started just as Colleen talked about with um, a life review. But first, I got to do an in-depth social history, which is so important. Because the more you know about an individual, the better you can help and guide and help them not navigate this journey. Um, With the life review, um, and she was so clear about what she did and didn't want, but also another enormous piece of work that she wanted to do was unfinished business because she was from a family of five siblings her mom was still alive and she had um, discord with a couple of her family members. And one of the things that um, we were able to do is really um, drill down and focus about some of the feelings that she had. And that's where that deep listening uh, really takes place. So much so that by the end of um, before she made this decision to stop eating and drinking, she was really able to connect with the sister who happens to be, her name was Kathy uh, as well. And um, they had a difficult uh, relationship for several years, but she was really able to um, show her emotions, talk about her emotions, but even then be able to talk with her sister Um, And what was the most unique situation is the sister was able to write this incredible, beautiful poem to my client. And it was such a healing experience. Um, What was also unique about this situation is that the children of the client uh, chose to have their mother taken out of the adult family home. And um, they rented an RV they gutted the RV and had the RV parked in the daughter's park um, garage area, carport area. And so it was uh, unique in that situation because it was by the house, but not in the house. And three generations of family members were able to become very involved. And one of the gifts of being an end-of-life doula is really listening deeply to what the person's needs are and what the care uh, cri- caregivers' criteria. She had very specific things, like she didn't want any male caregivers, and she wanted to be bathed and uh, every day. And there were so many different pieces of uh, things that she wished. And we also had the opportunity to actually um, utilize vigil planning and vigil planning is being at, at the bedside who she wanted at the bedside, who she didn't want um, whether she wanted to be turned every wanted to be turned every two to three hours so that we wouldn't uh, she would not develop any kind of uh, breakdown, but it, she was so clear, no hospitalizations being comfortable Um, And she ended up having also 24-hour caregiver. Um, What was unique during that time period is that the uh, nurses and the uh, nursing assistants had not any knowledge about what an end-of-life doula was. So as well as my being present for my client and her families, it was also an education um, of the staff that was coming to also care. As you know, uh, hospice, uh, Medicare doesn't um, provide that length of time, whereas an end-of-life doula can spend two to three hours at any session. And as the days got closer, um, she actually made a conscious decision um, that August 18th would be her last day of eating and drinking. And what was touched my heart so much is that she chose that day because her daughter was a school Teacher and she wanted um, her daughter not to have to be burdened by caring for her um, when school started. It was really quite emotional. Um, in my practice as a social worker, I've done thousands of care conferences, so I had the opportunity uh, utilizing uh, doing family care conferences, uh, helping the children, uh, grandchildren rather of. Uh, my client, too, so that we could normalize the end-of-life process and what was taking place. Also, the very son that um, did not want to be present at end-of-life for his mother um, actually took his turn at being with his mom, and when he was sitting with her at 4 o'clock in the morning, she passed away.
0: Thanks. you. Okay. Well, what a beautiful story You had me tearing up there. It was <laughs> you know the the stories are powerful. I mean they're so heartfelt and like you said, you know when you all said you're you're in that space to honor them and honor their wishes and and the thought that goes in to this whole process. you know there was also talk of um you know being able to resolve unresolved issues. And I think that happens on both sides of the coin—the person who's going to pass, but also family members. And I've heard of of is doing just beautiful work in terms of again allowing people to to work through that and try to figure out a resolution. And um, and I'm sure it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, from what I've heard, and and I don't hear the stories near as much as you do. Um, it It seems like both sides typically want it resolved. It's just no one's kind of stepped forward you know to do it and And am I mistaken on that? um That's just been from the stories I've heard from kind of the collective as a whole.
2: For the most part, that's really true. There has been situations as an end of life doula where uh the parents had passed away, but my the client. Actually, didn't even want her siblings at bedside, nor to have her siblings um, be notified of her death, and that's the exception versus the rule. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Well, I know we need to wrap up here, and um, but I did want to ask each of you if you had one tip to give a family who's dealing with dementia, and it might be for it might be directed at the person diagnosed or their family members. What tip would that be in terms of dealing with loss? And Bonnie, I'm going to go to you first.
4: Um, from From my perspective, I think um, acknowledging the the loss is really hard for people. Um, but I think to go back and and visit the memories and to learn to appreciate the person what, who they were and who they are now. Um, I I think you know you have to remember that these were people that really meant something to you. And just because they have dementia and things have changed a little bit, they still have a, a life of meaning. And so I think that's one thing. And, and then just the, the other thing I would just say, too, when you experience loss, I think you have to really lean into that loss and and embrace it um, in order to get to the other side of it. So um I think those would be my tips for that.
0: Great. Colleen,
4: how
3: about you? Well, somewhat along a line with what Bonnie was saying, um, to allow, allow for emotions. Let, let, if you feel like this is a loss, no matter what, um, and to allow to cry and, and to feel and, and to journal journaling, I've talked to several people who like to journal their feelings about it. And later, they're able to talk about it more as well.
0: Wonderful. I know um, Kathleen, who had to drop off, she said her tip would be to slow down, to be kind and be loving. There's no agenda to what you're going through and just take it a day at a time and find one safe person or place or pet to rest in. And I thought that was just beautiful because grief takes energy and we need, we need permission to be able to feel it and nobody processes this, the same fashion and, you know, to be able to release judgment on that. Kathy, how about you? Any tip you'd like to share? I think one of the things that I share with folks
2: is that the person with dementia is our guide and to uh, encourage that uh, unfolding of the journey They're going to be teaching us and we learn something every single time when we have interactions with folks. And I guess the other thing is to acknowledge that a person with dementia, their feelings as they move towards end of life is some of the most powerful part of them as well. And to listen to that.
0: Exactly. Um, good, good advice. Well, in wrapping up, I just want to thank each and every one of you for um, your insights, your your advice, and your your passion to be doing the work you're doing. Um, you know, the passion and compassion is so necessary, especially in the world we're living in today. I think it's a missing link on a lot of levels. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, what people can learn through this journey is something that they can take with you know, through the rest of their life journey and, and apply some of these skills too. Um, So again, thank you all for, for participating and for our listeners, you know, I'd like to ask you to be a giver of hope, take a second and just be, um, be that giver of hope, like, click and share this episode with your sphere of influence. You don't know who in your sphere is dealing with, with things like this. And, you know, yes, we're focused on dementia, but it's so much bigger than dementia. End of life doulas are really about living life well and wrapping it up and putting a bow on it at the end. That's kind of how I look at the work that you guys do. Mm -hmm. And just um, who doesn't want to have someone who really gets you and listens to you and has an authentic response and who validates who you are and what you're feeling? Everybody. Needs that. That's called belonging. And I think in society today, it's again one of those missing links. And we need to learn to be kinder. We need to slow down. We need to listen. And so, again, be a giver of hope. Um, pass this information along. You can go to the ladies' website, which is uh, the gentle passage collective.com. Um, they are also on LinkedIn. They have a Facebook page. And then there's another link to their TV show that they do, a different kind of doula. And uh, so check that out, too, because they do some interesting interviews. I know I'll be I'll be honored to be one of their guests coming up here soon as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And again, you know, please feel free to like, click and share comment. We would love to we would love to hear your thoughts on the Gentle Passage Doula Collective and the work that they're doing. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia?